0: Hey, well, good morning. It's good to see you today, and uh, thanks for being here. If this is your first time here with us at the Orchard, welcome. We are so glad that you chose to be with us today. Great day to come today. We're in the middle of a study on the book of Colossians. Now, Colossians is really not a book. Actually, it's a letter, if you want to get more technical. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at a place called Colossae. Colossae was a city uh, at that time, pretty prominent, um, in, in the land of Asia Minor, t- modern-day Turkey. And um, there, Paul had probably never visited that church, interestingly enough, um, which made it, you say, well, why did he write a letter to a church he'd never been to? He had a friend. There was a mutual friend, Epaphras, who had come to visit Paul because, oddly enough, he was in a Roman prison cell a Roman imprisonment his first Roman imprisonment and so he came to visit Epaphras came to visit and while he's there ministering to Paul he says hey you need to know there are some things going on in the church at Colossae that I don't really know how to handle I don't know, that's not in the scripture. I'm just guessing that that's what he said, but I'm pretty sure because I know how that happens. Every time, every Sunday, it seems like I walk away thinking, hey, there's some things I really don't know how to handle going on here, right? We don't always know how to handle it. So Paul says to Epaphras, I'm going to write a letter. We're going to send it back to Colossae because we need to deal with this problem. The major problem they were dealing with, if you recall, was dealing with a heresy known as Gnosticism. There was a group of Gnostics who were under the belief that that there was a mysterious knowledge that one had to gain in order to really come to know God. And Paul is going to reinforce the fact that we are saved by grace through faith and that God comes to us, honestly. God comes to us and says, Here's what I want to do so that I can have a relationship with you. And God sent His Son, His one and only Son, to die on a cross. Why? Why? so that we could be reconciled to God. That's the good news of the gospel. And so Paul says we need to reinforce that and talk to them about this gospel. And then, by the way, let's also talk about what happens when we respond to the gospel. So part of the book, part of the letter, is spent dealing with the gospel and the theology behind the gospel. And then in chapter 3, it pivots. He pivots a little bit. And he says, now let's talk about the results of this gospel. Let's talk about what happens in our lives because of the power of the gospel. Which brings us, really, to what our question has been for this entire book, this entire series. And that is, can we really change? We ask that question because, frankly, I get asked that question quite often. In fact, in a comfortably amount of times I get asked that question. Can we really change? I think sometimes we think that in our minds there are some things we can change and in some things about us we can't change and will never change. Or maybe we think that about someone, right? Maybe it's a brother you know, that you have and he'll never change. Or maybe it's a sister, or maybe it's a husband, or a wife, or maybe a teenage child, you know, or maybe a parent. They'll never change. Or then what really concerns me, burns me, is when someone comes to faith in Christ, and there's this incredible change in their life, someone says, ah, it'll never last. It'll never last. Why? Because we know that just changing our habits often really is more of a trend than a real change. But Paul's going to say, you don't understand this. You need to understand this that when we really respond truly to the gospel, and the message of Jesus Christ is really understood, not only is change possible, it's probable. And in fact, there ought to be some change in your life. And today we're going to see, that he's going to say, not only should there be change, but change in our life should be noticeable. Real change doesn't go unnoticed. As a matter of fact, real change isn't even subtle necessarily. Usually, I think, it's more drastic. It's kind of like my mind goes, sometimes my mind goes crazy places, but my mind goes to Clark Kent. Anybody know Clark Kent? You remember Clark Kent? He comes. He, he's this mild-mannered dude, right? He's got the glasses and he's got the coat and the tie. He's the mild-mannered reporter. But when Clark Kent steps into the phone booth, he takes off his glasses and his coat and tie, and he comes out with a big S on his chest and a cape. And now there is a drastic change, a noticeable change. He is a completely different person. Now, I, I don't want to take this too simple, and I know everything kind of fails at some point. But the truth is, you and I, when we step into Christ, we become a new person. It's noticeable. Not only is it noticeable, it's impacting. Now, we don't take off glasses necessarily and exchange it for a cape. But in fact, we do take off our old life and we put on a new. And it's not something that's just trendy, but rather it is something that impacts our life and changes us forever. So I do believe we can really change. Now we've been talking about that change for several weeks now and the different parts and portions of that change. Today, I want to drill down on this thought. That this change is so noticeable that people around us see the change. And the change happens because in Christ we have a brand new perspective. Everything looks different. Everything is coming through a new filter, a different filter. And it's very important to see. So we're going to look at Paul's letter to Colossians. We're in the third chapter. Now, if you'll take your Bibles or if you don't have a copy of the Scripture, maybe it's on your tablet or your phone. It's the only time it's okay to have your phone on in church, okay? You can have it on. I know some of you are still playing games, but I'm I'm looking for the most of you are really on your uh, Scripture reference there. Or it'll be on the screen if you want to follow along that way. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Now, last week we left off at verse number 17, so today we pick up with verse 18. Now, before we do, can I just backtrack a little bit? I think it's important to remember where we've been, right? This is, remember, this is a letter. It should be written from, from or read from forward to end. You, you don't typically read a portion of a letter today, and then a week later you come back and read another portion of the letter. How do you read the letter? You read it straight through. And unfortunately, because of time, we have to kind of break it up. But let's remember where we've been. Because in chapter 3, Paul pivots. He starts chapter 3, verse 1, by saying so. And Donald, that's not up here. I I didn't put these former ones. But you can follow. He starts off by saying so. Because of is the idea. Because of everything we've said in the first two chapters. Because of the theology of the gospel that we've been talking about. Because of the truth that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again and is seated in the heavenlies. Because of the fact that you by faith have come to Christ. Because you are new people. A new man. As he said to the Corinthians, a new creation. Old things passing away and all things becoming new. So he says. Here's how it affects your life. Here's how, here's how this impacts you and why change in your life becomes so noticeable to people around you. He says, so if you've been raised with Christ, he tells us in the first four verses that we have a new position in Christ. You remember? We talked about that, how we have a new position in Christ. We are, watch this, positionally, we are dead with Christ, buried with Christ, and risen to walk in newness of life. So really, he's saying we have a new position in Christ. Whereas once you were spiritually dead, now you are spiritually alive. That's enough to change everything, right? Spiritually dead to spiritually alive. The the spiritual man in you was dead. Now it's alive, he said. You have a new position brand new position and then he says this new position bears out a new passion and he talks about that new passion in verses five and following he talks about the key word you remember was put off and put on he says you're putting off these things and he lists a a, a myriad of things that we put off that's Clark Kent taking his glasses off okay there are certain things we take off we put off we put away and then he talks about those things that we put on Yeah, now he's not talking about a Superman cape, but the things that we put on does make change noticeable. Because he talks about putting on things like the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. He talks about putting on things like love and joy and peace. I'm telling you, some of you, if you go in with a little joy in your heart on Monday morning, tomorrow, somebody's going to say, there's something different about that person. Because what do we normally do on Monday? Ah, It's Monday. You know, think about it. We need to have, there is a new passion. We put off the old. We put on the new self, he talks about. And then he talks about this this fact that we put on compassion and kindness. And he goes through this list that is not descriptive of most of us on a Monday. Amen? But he says all of these things we put on and it becomes noticeable. Then he says, talks about the peace of Christ that floods our heart and soul. And then we got to verse 17, I thought was maybe the key verse last week. Because he tells us that we have a new purpose. A new purpose. Because he said, everything you do, whether word or deed, no matter what you do, do everything to the glory and honor of Christ. Now that's huge. Because there's some of you this morning, there's some of us in this world who think, ah, we're just a little lowly nobody. You know, I'm not president of the United States. You probably ought to thank God for that, amen? I'm, I'm thinking, who wants to be anymore? You know, I'm not the governor of the state of Florida, I'm, and I'm not anybody important. I just do this little menial job that nobody even sees or knows or cares. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> God sees and knows everything we do, and he cares. And he says everything we do has purpose. And the purpose is that we bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And whatever you do, if you sweep out. Now, you, I know this sounds preacher talk, but I'm just telling you. Because I remember my first church, the first church I served was a little country church, and man, I was so passionate. I was also kind of dumb. I was 19, okay? Not to say that all 19-year-olds are dumb. I am just kind of was. And I'm serving this church, and this little church, because I'm so dumb, I'm just doing everything. I'm sweeping the floors. I'm turning the AC on and off. I'm getting there to turn the lights on. I'm mopping wherever necessary. And somebody said to me, you don't have to do that, Pastor. You're the pastor. I'm saying, you don't understand. I'm sweeping floors. I'm sweeping floors for Jesus. If I'm mopping floors or cleaning a bathroom, I'm doing it for Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter. Yesterday, we were in there building away or they're building, I'm watching. I, never, not one of my strengths, but as, we, as we're doing that, I'm looking at those walls go up, and I'm thinking, we're doing this for Jesus, right, and for kids that we love. We're not doing it just to have something to do on a Saturday. My wife had plenty of work for me at home Saturday, by the way. No, oh, we do it for Jesus. Everything. There's a new purpose. Everything we do in life is for Jesus, and it, it doesn't matter what it is that you do. That's the point. You know what? That ought to excite somebody this morning. That does kind of excite me. There's a new passion. There's a new purpose. And now he says in the the last part of the verse, the chapter, he says there's also a new perspective. You're going to see things differently. Now, this might be a real big thing for us. Sometimes people ask me, how do I know that Christ is really in my life? How do I know? I mean, I think Christ is in my life. I think I'm a Christian. I think I'm... How do I know? Can I just say, one of the greatest ways you may know is this new perspective we're going to be talking about today. There's a new filter. Everything we look at, we look at differently. And people begin to notice. Now, where's the most obvious place for people to notice Change. Where's the most obvious place to see the change from Clark Kent to Superman? At church, right? Wrong. Everybody, yeah, not everybody. Everybody's a big term. Let me back off that. A lot of us wear masks to church. Are y'all okay with that now? I mean, I don't. I mean, just the truth. We wear masks to church. For example, we're on our way to church. We've been fighting since 7 o'clock this morning, arguing since, let's say arguing, arguing since 7 o'clock this morning, trying to get the kids ready. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there this morning, even this morning, you know, my mother-in-law lives with us, and so it takes a little longer for us to all get ourselves together, and I'm sitting there thinking, when are we going to leave? I need to leave, you know. And then we walk in, and ah, everything's wonderful! <laughs> we wear our masks, Right? That's not really the best place. As a matter of fact, I have found out a long time ago that what we see at church does not always translate into Monday morning. So just so you know, I know that. Okay. Sometimes people say to me, Pastor, if you just knew what your church people were doing on Friday night. I'm like, I don't really want to know. Here's the thing. I think the best place where our change is most noticeable is at home and at work and you students I'm not letting you off the hook at home and at school that's where people see the that's where it's most noticeable first of all at home there's a change that happens at home now I understand the security of home life I, you know I'm so grateful for my home I'm so thankful for my wife I, I mean I just love her more every day and I, one of the things I'm so grateful for is that she's such a good friend and so I can come home right I don't have to have any masks on I don't have to put on airs for anybody. I don't have to say, let me think, should I say or think or do that because I'm a pastor. I'm just her friend and her husband and my kid's dad and granddad, and I can just come home. But here's the thing. She's going to be the first one to know about what's going on in my life. It really does affect. And we really do have new perspectives. So now Paul is going to start at home. And he says, now, here's where some change is going to become noticeable in your home life. And then he shocks these people of Colossae. Now, I don't know if this is going to shock you. In fact, if you've been in church very often, you've probably read this passage and heard of this passage. And, and you're, you're, you're going to look at it and you're going to say, ho-hum, just another day. No, 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 no. I want you to look carefully. I, I want to show you something about this passage that I find very interesting. He's about to shock the Roman world. Because he's going to say your new faith in Christ and your new life in Christ is going to be so noticeable because it is going to run counterintuitive to everything that culture and nature tells you. Can I say that one more time? Our new life in Christ, the change in me as a result of the gospel, is so noticeable because it's going to run counterintuitive to everything in our culture and nature. You're saying. Oh. You're going to have to prove that one to me. All right, thanks for the invitation. Let me just jump in. At home, first of all, he shocks them. Look what he says, verse 18. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, what's shocking about that? What's shocking about that in our culture is that he uses this word submit. It's really a military term. It means to fall into rank. Has nothing to do, by the way, with equality. It has everything to do with authority. It's not that shocking to you because you've heard it before. In fact, some of you have rebelled against it. Amen. Come on, let's just be honest. Some of you are like, I can't believe we're talking about this, and just the very looking at that causes the hair on your neck to stand up a little bit. And frankly, just on this passage means I got a target on my back, so I'm not going to turn my back to any of you. But it's not shocking in that day. It's shocking. It's shocking. Why? Because wives were in constant rebellion because they were treated as property. Now, I know, I, I know we still have a long way to go with equality and women and all those things, and I'm not here to really <clears throat> delve into that, and especially the political side of all that. <clears throat> but I know we've got a ways to go. But ladies, you, Christianity did so much for the rights of women. Because till this point... Women were just seen as property, their husband's property. And you can pretty much imagine, if that's the way your husband looks at you today, you're going to come out with fists, right? And the last thing you want is for somebody to write from a prison cell in Rome, hey, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. Now he's going to shock the men because he says, husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Now, uh, here's what's interesting. I highlighted love for a reason. The word love in the Greek language. Remember, New Testament written in Greek. In the Greek language, the word that's used here, there are many words for love in the Greek language, right? There are several words, and each of those words describes a different kind of love. We don't understand that in English because we have one word, love, right? And we use that one word to describe everything. I say, I love, I just said, I love my wife. But guess what I always say? I love a good hamburger. Hopefully those are not equal. Right? Right? Now, if I'd have used a few things inside of hamburgers, some of you men would have been, yes, tipped this way. No, no, but here they have different words for love, and this word love is agape, agapao. Now, here's what's interesting about that. It's the same word that's used of God's love and Christ's love for us. It is known as a sacrificial, unselfish, unconditional, sacrificing love. Well, the men are shocked. What are you talking about, Paul? This, this woman is my property. Now, I'm not saying the Bible says that. Don't hear me. I'm not saying Eddie believes that. I'm saying that's the Roman culture. That's the culture of that day. No, she's, she's my property. If I, I do whatever. There's a historical record of women burning the toast in the morning, and that's it. You're gone. That's the attitude. That's the culture. And by the way, that's our nature, right? But he says, hold on. This new life in Christ gives you a whole new perspective. And you're to love your wife unconditionally, unselfishly, sacrificially. That's a shock. And they're thinking, I don't know. They're processing all of this. And as they're processing, he goes a step further. Look at the next verse. He takes another step. And he says, oh, by the way, you children or fathers, he says, verse 21. Fathers. Fathers. <clears throat> Now, I'll stop here to say, the word fathers here, uh, I'm sorry, that was verse twenty-first. Children, he says, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, I'm sure culture was for them to obey them, but nature is not. Are you all with me? Any of you who have children know that it is not necessarily their nature to obey, right? I don't know. Maybe you have that child but I don't know too many children who come into the world saying, how can I obey you today, Mom? What would you like me to do today to obey you, Dad? It's not our nature. That's why we have to discipline, right? Discipline is not intended to strictly be mean and punishing. It's, it's teaching a behavior of respecting obedience. I mean, respecting authority by the way, can I just throw this in? It's not in my notes. Probably should not go there if it's not in my notes. But here's the truth. If your child cannot learn to submit to your authority, he or she will never learn to submit to civil authority. He says, children, obey your parents. And everything that is quite contrary to my nature. That is, that is not in my nature. And then he says, okay, you parents, fathers, the word is pater in Greek. Now, interestingly, in the book of Hebrews... I believe it's the 10th chapter. I'd have to chase down that reference. In the book of Hebrews, the same word, pater, is used of parents. Remember when the writer of Hebrews was talking about Moses? And he said that Moses was hidden by his parents in the bulrushes. The word parents there is pater, same word. So we could say fathers here, we could say parents here. I I think either one is appropriate. And I, I would rather use parents because it is not only fathers who exasperate children. Whew, I got quiet. I better back it up a minute. Here's the point. It says those of you fathers, you're the one in authority. You're the one in authority. Don't crush the spirit of your children. Don't crush the spirit. It says don't provoke, don't exasperate. He's not talking about discipline. You know the scripture says much about discipline. Discipline is a good thing. By the way, what is the common root between discipline and disciple, (laughs) right? Very similar. We need discipline. We need to exercise disciplines in our lives. Right, Beth, we were just talking about the importance of discipline and learning the discipline of, of getting up in the morning when we need to or being where we need to be on time. Those are good things. But when we exercise authority to the point that children are exasperated and crushed in their spirit, he says, be careful we don't do that. You know what? The Roman mind is thinking, what are you talking about? These children are just property. That's the way they were viewed, like the women. They're just property. They're just here to be used however I want to use them, however it can best suit me, however it can get me the most gain. That's what these children are for. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You see, this gospel changes us. We have a new perspective, and suddenly those who are in authority are not to use that authority for their own personal gain. and Rather, we're guided by love. Now, I hope you're following me. point is, he's saying everything runs counterintuitive to our nature and to our culture to this point. Well, now, if we don't have it well enough, he's going to really drill down. Because next he comes to another pair, another two groups of people. Look at the next verse. Very important. He says, slaves. All right, now we're getting complicated. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Now, understand this. A couple of things I want to say about this make sure we understand. First of all, Paul is not condoning slavery. So don't get, you know, don't get all upset here and think that the Bible is condoning slavery. Not, not so whatsoever. In fact, Paul, in another place, has a slave come to him, a runaway slave. He sends him back. He says, you ought to go back to your master and fulfill your spot there. And he sends him with a letter that says to his master, you treat him right. You treat him right. Remember that, that Philemon Onesimus story? It's an incredible story. In another place, Paul says no. He condemns it. This is not a a commendation of slavery. But what he's going to do is make the same point. The one in authority does not oppress the one in lesser authority or under his authority. And the one who is under authority reciprocates with submission. So he says, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Look at the next verse. He says, "Slaves, obey your human masters. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord." Now, here's what I want to do. You say, "Well, what does this have to do with us whatsoever?" Thank the Lord, we are not in living in the day of slavery. Hold, okay, hold on. Here's what I want to do. I, I want to do is make is draw some principles from this that I think can apply in an employee employer relationship. And be right in doing so. It's not stretching it. Because very similar. In the Roman Empire, over 50% of the people were considered slaves. Many of them were very highly educated. Many of them disciplined the children. Many of them taught the children at home. Very similar. So let's think about this from an employer-employee relationship. He says, those of you who are employees, those of you who are under the authority of your employer, look what he says. Don't only work while being watched. Go back. I'm going go there. Don't only work while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Now go to the next one. And then he continues. Knowing that you will receive or inherit, reward of inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. Now there's some good stuff there for those of us who work. <laughs> because here's what I'm thinking. Not only do people... Notice our faith when we're at home. The second place they notice is when we're at work. We have a different perspective. We have a different attitude. We have a different goal. We have a different purpose. And that is unmistakable. It's noticeable. Why? Because he says, you know what? Those of you who are followers of Christ, for you when you go to work, you ought to be the best worker in the company. You ought to be the best worker in the company. At least the best you can be. He says, you ought to work. Don't don't turn around to see if the boss is looking. I, I was in a store the other day. I won't name which store. And I was trying to get some money transferred. And as I was trying to get the money transferred, these girls were talking back and forth about how somebody had been caught behind the counter. Because they, that, that night before And found out that they had been coming back there And hiding behind the counter Like for hours at night Sleeping When they were supposed to be working They were on the clock I'm thinking That's what he's saying here Now we don't do that It's our nature We're okay with it by nature Hey if I can get away with it I can get away with it I think he's talking about things like Taking things from the company That really aren't ours I think maybe he's talking about working for our best, doing our best, not slouching. I think he's talking about all those things that he's saying, listen, those of us who are under authority, and and that's probably most of us in the room, but not all of us. Listen, when we're at work, we need to work diligently. Why? Because you serve. Watch this carefully. This can change your life. This alone is going to be worth coming to church for if you get it. You don't serve your company You don't serve your boss first. You serve the Lord Christ. And that becomes a reflection. Your life becomes a reflection of the gospel. And in doing so, you serve your employer and your company. And who knows? They might even recognize that in you. I don't know. But here's what I know. People notice change at home and at work. They, they're going to notice the change in you. By the way, he does address the employer as well. You have to go to the fourth chapter, and I know it seems kind of weird, but remember there's no chapter breaks in this letter. Those chapter breaks are added later for our convenience. So in chapter 4, verse 1, he finishes the thought by saying, Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. In other words, he says, by the way, you guys who are bosses, you supervisors, you business owners, well, I'm just digging this deeper and deeper, aren't I? I don't know if I can climb out today. He says, treat your employees fairly and justly. Don't cheat them. Don't slight them. Give them just due. Appreciate them. I'm reading a book right now I'm fascinated with. I'm just starting it. It's built on the five love languages. Many of you have read the five love languages or are familiar with that. It's called Five Appreciation Languages of People at Work. I want to know, how can I say appreciation to my employees, to the people who work for me? How can I say I appreciate you in a language that they can hear? Why? Because I want to be fair and just. And why? He says, because remember, ultimately, you're not the big boss. I sure don't like it when people come to me and say, he's the boss. I'm not the boss. I'm your boss, (laughs) I don't want to say. I'm not the boss. He says, you got to understand, you have a master in heaven. All of us have a boss bigger than whoever the boss is. And if you are the boss, ultimately somebody bigger than you. Well, anyway, I got to hurry. I'm about out of time. I'm just having so much fun. Everything. Now, you see, here's three categories. Watch this. Three categories that he's presented now. Husband's wife, parents' children, slaves' masters. All three, one is in a place of authority, and one is submissive to them or under (coughs) authority. I think there's another really valuable lesson here, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Y'all got to love me. You will have to like me, but you got to love me. I'm going to say something a little risky here. I think we, as New Testament followers of Christ, need to understand that we are different because we have a different perspective. We see differently, counterintuitive to our culture and our nature. And we, watch this, we need to understand that a part of that. Is when we are in authority, when we have power, we must be careful how we treat those with lesser power. Y'all okay with that? You okay with that? Now let me take it a step further. Here's where it gets a little more touchy. We talk a lot of, we hear a lot today about social injustice. All right, now hang with me. We hear a lot about social justice and social injustice. About those with opportunity and those who don't, we talk about. We hear a lot today about privileged and unprivileged, and how you know it falls into all kinds. Now, listen. There's a whole lot said wrong about all that. A whole lot said wrong about all that. But let me just, listen to me carefully. We need to understand that we do some. We are often born into privilege. That's just true. This this is not, our participation in this is not some kind of a political issue. This is a theological issue. To understand that Paul is saying that sometimes we are placed by privilege or by working or however in a place of authority and our place is to treat those in lesser authority, lesser privilege in a right way. Fair, just, kind, compassionate. You say, well, I'm not very privileged. I don't know about you. You know when I realized how privileged we are? I realized how privileged we are when I went to my first third world country. And I understood something. I'm touring that country with a pastor, and he takes me to a school. Later, we would decide to help that school, help fund that school, and here's why. You know what he told me? He said, only privileged children get to go to school. And the only way out of the slum is through education. But you see, in this country, there's no free education. You pay for your education. So if you're in the slum, you're not going to be able to pay for an education. And so you're stuck in the slum. And I'm like, dear Lord, can we just help some of these children get an education so they can work their way out of this mess that they're in? And suddenly, God spoke to my heart and said, you see, all those mornings you... Cried and pitched a fit because you had to get up and go to school. What a privilege. What a privilege you had. Young people, listen to me carefully. It's a privilege that you get to go to school. It's a privilege that you have parents to teach you and instruct you. That is a privilege. It's a wonderful thing. But back to my, my point. My point is, listen to me carefully. Do not, let's do not let political stress strivings keep us from a right perspective as believers I know it got quiet I expected it to get quiet we'll talk about that more on on our more video and you can check it out with your classes you can talk about it more just saying we have to be careful I ran across an interesting quote this week and I want to kind of close it down with this here's what someone said listen carefully participating which is participating in social justice is a Christian tradition inspired by Jesus not by political causes That is true. So what's our takeaway? Here's what I want you to take away, and I'm done. I want us to see that new life gives us a new perspective. Your new life in Christ changes your perspective. Suddenly, when we come to faith in Christ, it is not the world revolving around me. It is me serving Jesus by serving my world that's it I'm no longer the center of the universe everything doesn't revolve around me, everything was not made for me I am simply a servant of Jesus who is serving this world different perspective <laughs> last illustration some of you are going to understand this and some of you aren't I remember the first time I was about 20 in my middle 20s early 30s, I don't recall exactly maybe early 30s My uh, put on my first pair of glasses. I didn't need glasses. I'd never had glasses. Truth be known, I probably made fun of some kids who did. And then one day I realized, I don't think I'm seeing quite as good. Maybe I need to get these eyes checked. And I remember the first time that somebody put these on my head and I walked outside. Wow. There's color I hadn't seen before. There's signs that I can actually read now. My whole perspective changed. Can I tell you, when we come to faith in Christ, it's like putting on glasses. My whole perspective changes. And listen to me carefully, friends, and I'm done. If your perspective changes, your attitude and your actions will closely follow. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this day and this morning. Thank you for giving us the truth of your word. I pray, dear Lord, that we would hear your truth carefully today. Not my opinions or my thoughts. They're not important. But your word, your gospel, is life. So I pray, dear Lord, that we would see Jesus in this place on this day. You are indeed a mighty and a wonderful God.